is filled with stories of God using ordinary people to accomplish His extraordinary work throughout history. These people were transformed by their willingness to trust and obey God's call. Like us, they lived out God's plan one day and one moment at a time, not knowing how their stories would end. Good morning. How is everybody on this rainy Sunday morning? Nice, right? Man, I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to be here to, to share a message. Uh, I, I was so humbled when, when Paul said, hey, I'm going on vacation. Uh, and I was like, oh, gr- fantastic. And uh, he said, I'd like for you to, to speak for me on June 6th. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge honor and a huge blessing to, to, to be asked that. Um, and I, I think it shows just how much we have a pastor that trusts God in all things. And that is not something to be taken lightly. It very much is not. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful for Paul and his wife and kids and, and you know, just how they lead us and shepherd us. Um, so, so we were, we're going to do this series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God, like Graham had mentioned. And uh, when Paul asked me, to, to speak on this, I thought, my goodness, there are so many in the Bible, so many ordinary people in the Bible that God used in extraordinary ways. And so I was praying, and uh, I mean, I was probably nine, ten days into praying about who, and, and God laid it on my heart to, to speak on Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, just what an amazing story, what an amazing story. And so the title of, of my sermon is Joseph prisoner to provider by extraordinary events, okay? So we're going to do, I'm going to take you kind of through a cliff note version of Joseph's life, and then uh, I'll elaborate a little bit. So, you know, Joseph was born, uh, and, and he had a lot of older brothers, right? And his dad loved him. He was the favorite. And, uh, you all remember what Joseph was famous for if, if you were ever in vacation Bible school, which is coming up here at Hillside if you have kids. Uh, do you all remember what Joseph was famous for? His coat of many colors, right? And some of you know me, some of you don't. I try to, the best I can, coordinate my shirts, whether they have words or something with my sermon title. And so this morning I was praying, I was like, God, what am I going to wear? And this is about as colorful as I can get. <laughs> so this is my shirt of many colors uh, to illustrate. I'm not sure exactly what it looked like, but Joseph. So you remember Joseph, he was a dreamer, right? He had dreams. And he shared those dreams with his brothers. And then his second dream he shared with his brothers and his fathers. And they didn't really like that. Right? They didn't, they didn't like those dreams. You know, oh yeah? You're big something special? We're going to bow down to you? Is that what you're telling us? Right? And so, it takes a lot of courage to speak truth. Right? It t- takes a lot of courage to speak truth. But Joseph was obedient. And then, Joseph's brothers, they wanted to kill him. 
right? He, he, he went out to, to search for them, to check on them. And um, I'm going to give you, if, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you the, the Bible verses that tied to this story. I'm not going to actually read the whole scripture uh, just because you guys, I, I'm sure, want to have lunch at some point today. But Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him in Genesis chapter 37, verses 19 and 20. So they're going to kill him, but they said, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well. Let, let's just put him in a well. But then Reuben says, uh, let, let's just sell him. We'll sell him. So there are some Midianites, and they came and, and sold him. So he, he, he's now a slave, and then he goes on a little bit further. And then Joseph was bought by Potiphar, who was Pharaoh's official, and God's favor was on him. And that's Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 through 6, if you want to read that story. So now he's, he's, he's with Potiphar. You know, the Bible describes him as a well-built, handsome man. And Potiphar's wife comes on to him. And he refuses. And she does it again and refuses. But this time, she keeps his cloak, right? Because she's going to use that against him. So uh, the moral of the story is, don't wear jackets and coats, right? Because both times that got Joseph in trouble. <laughs> His colorful coat and then the coat that Potiphar's wife took. So just don't wear coats. I don't. It's a practice of mine. I do not own a winter jacket or anything like that. That's biblical, yeah? So he, he, gets, he gets accused of rape, uh, and, he, and so he gets thrown in prison, Right? He gets thrown in prison for this. Um, so, so now he's a prisoner, but the Lord was with him, the Bible says. The Lord was with him. He was shown kindness and favor by the prison warden, and he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. I don't know that I would have that same mentality, right? Wrongly accused. I'm in prison. I'm probably going to be resentful, angry, um, but Joseph didn't have that attitude. Matter of fact, there was the cupbearer and the baker who had dreams. They each had dreams. And, and Joseph, again, he interprets these dreams. Both come true, although the baker's was a nightmare. Right? He ultimately gets executed. Um, so once again, speaking truth is difficult. Right? If, if you come to me and say, oh, I, I had this dream or whatever, you know, it, it's really easy to just sugarcoat and say, oh, yeah, I think this is what this means, right? And paint this beautiful picture. But Joseph, God gave him, him the gift to interpret, and he spoke truth to these, right? The, the, the cupbearer, oh, man, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's fantastic. I really hope you're right. And I'm sure the baker was like, how dare you? How dare you? So now, fast forward, Pharaoh has a dream, right? Pharaoh has a dream, but no one can interpret it. He reaches out to the wise men, to the magicians, to, to, to all these people in his kingdom, but no one can interpret it. But the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And he said, you know what? I did some time with this dude, man. And he interpreted, he interpreted my dream. M maybe he could do the same for you. 
And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and in return, because Pharaoh appreciated it, he puts Joseph in charge of Egypt. Basically, his second right-hand man. And in and, and his dream, he predicts seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And then there was a plan, too. He didn't just interpret it and tell him what's going to happen. Now he's put in charge and he has authority. He takes action and says, during these years of abundance, we're going to store and save to prepare for those seven years of famine. Right? That, that's important. That's really important. When you have a sense of God, you've got to, to plan, right? You've got to plan because if he just interpreted the dream and, oh, that's good, fantastic, and they just went on normal living, the rest of the story would have been different. So now, that, now they've, they've had the seven years of abundance. Now they're into the famine. Jacob, his father, they live uh, away. Uh, Joseph, Jacob's father sends his ten sons and says, you know, we're running out of food. We're running out of food. You, you need to go up to Egypt and, and get us some food. Um, and, and so they come to ask. Now, Joseph is in charge, right? And they all think Joseph is dead. They haven't seen him in years. They have no idea where he is, what he's up to. If he's even alive, they have no idea. So his brothers come to get food. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And, and, and that whole takes place in Genesis chapter 42. It, it's, a, it's a pretty detailed what he tells them that they need to do. A lot of requests are made. It, it's a really good story. Um, but, but the important thing is that Joseph didn't harbor resentment or anger from the pain that they had caused him. Right? Because his trust in God was much greater than the actions of his jealous brothers. And when he saw Benjamin, right, because he sends him back and says, do you have any other siblings? And they're like, oh, yeah, we have a younger brother, Benjamin. He's like, go get him. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. Our dad's not going to let that happen. Because Benjamin took the spot of his favorite, right? He's like, hey, he's not going to let that happen. He's like, well, are you that hungry or not, right? How desperate are you? And so they do. They go and get Benjamin. They bring him back. Uh, and when he sees his youngest brother, Benjamin, he gets overcome with emotion and goes off and weeps. Right? He just, he weeps. And so now Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And I'm going to read this, Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 7. Then Joseph, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there have been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Man, 
God, give me that trust in you, right? So, so, you know, he shares that with them and then says, hey, go and get my father and bring him here. So he does. He goes and gets Jacob, the whole family. They all come. He feeds them. They get land. They just prosper because Joseph trusted God. Because Joseph trusted God. Because Joseph was a prisoner and now is a provider. Now, their father Jacob passes away, and the brothers were then concerned, right? Because if dad's alive, Joseph isn't going to do anything. But, jo- but Jacob passes away, and now the brothers think, oh no, dad's gone. Now he's going to get us back for all the things that we did, right? I can totally picture that in my mind. Like, I did all this bad stuff, and now dad's gone. Oh, boy. Now there's no authority. Now there's nobody to keep us in a straight line. He's going to go off the deep end, and we're going to pay dearly for what we did. So in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, I'm going to read this to you. But Joseph said... Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being, the, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What you meant for evil, God used for good. Anybody in here ever been wronged by somebody? A couple of you. That's awesome. You got good friends, man. I need to hook up with you and check out your Facebook friends. But it's awesome. You can see that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the actions that were taken against him, regardless of where he was in life, Joseph trusted God. With all of his heart, because he knew that he served an extraordinary God. He knew it. He believed it. He trusted it. He lived it. My girlfriend Becca said when I was when we were talking about this sermon, she's like, Yeah, sometimes it's okay to be extra. And I was like, Absolutely it is. Right? Because God is extra, and he wants to do extraordinary things through you. Because we're ordinary people, right? We're just ordinary. I'm an ordinary man. But I do trust God. Not all the time, but I do trust God. So, so let's think about, now this is where it's, hang with me, right? This is where it's going to get good. So think about the events in Joseph's life and how each of them, regardless of how awful, God used for his glory and the good of his people. All right? So Jacob loves Joseph the most of his sons. He gets the colorful coat, right? He's the favorite. He has the dreams. No dreams, no jealousy from the brothers. No jealousy, no pit. No pit. No sold into slavery. No slavery, no job at Potiphar's house. 
No job at Potiphar's house, no conflict with his wife. No conflict with his wife, no imprisonment. No imprisonment, no meeting with cupbearer and the baker, and no interpretation of their dreams. No interpretation of their dreams, no meeting with Pharaoh. No meeting with Pharaoh, where did I go? No chance to predict the famine and plan resulting in saving people. No people saved. Israel dies of famine and his family and God's promises never kept. Then no immigration into Egypt, no 400 years of slavery, no slavery, no Moses, no Moses, no Exodus, no Exodus, no law and nation of Israel, no nation of Israel, no one to welcome and then crucify Jesus. Right? All those events, all those events, awful, right? I mean, I bet, you know, I know me. I'm thankful that Joseph doesn't have my attitude, but I'd be like, how much more can I go through? But he didn't. And his trust was in God was so much greater than his circumstances or the events that were happening in his life. And because of that trust, we're here today and have had or have the opportunity to surrender our lives and our hearts to Jesus Christ so that we may spend eternity in heaven with him forever. So you see how God uses these events that look traumatic and awful in Joseph's lives and in our lives. He uses them to accomplish his plan, his will. Right? He, he didn't intend for those things to happen, but he will use those things that happen. 100%. God will use your past for your good and the good of others and for his glory when you surrender fully to him. He will. Jacob was an ordinary boy with a cool coat. He was an ordinary slave. He was an ordinary second in charge. But he knew that he served an extraordinary God. So let me share a little bit of my story. And it's awesome. Um, <clears throat> when I was driving in today to church, I love it when God gives me revelation, like on the way to preach a sermon. It's so good. <clears throat> so I was born the oldest of four. Uh, if my, anybody of my family's watching, I am the favorite. So, I feel it. I feel you, Joseph. I feel you. Uh, but, you know, there was events that happened. And, and you don't, in the midst of those events when they are happening, you're like, I don't understand. But, you know, when you go back, like, I'm sure Joseph, in the moment when all of those things happened, he was probably like, I don't understand the meaning or how this is going to be used. And that same is true with us. When you're in the midst of something, you probably don't understand, but it's when you get through. We had a devotional up this morning with, with the team, and, and, and 
uh, Laura spoke on through, and what that means is to, to, to go in one side and to come out the other. When you go through something, it's when you get to the other side that you look back and see why uh, or how God used that passage, right? So when I was five years old, we camped out in Bedford. My dad and his whole family, there was usually like 15 to 20 campers, and uh, it was, you had to drive down this mud road, and campers were lined up here. On the back side of the campers, there was a steep drop-off into the White River, and then over here was just acres and acres and acres of field. And depending on the year, it was either corn or beans, right? So one night, <coughs> the parents put all the children to bed in the campers, and then they went and sat around the fire and, I guess, tried to solve the world's problems. I don't know what they talked about, but they said, uh, somebody said, hey, do you guys hear that? Sounds like a cat meowing. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of listened. Then they heard it again, and they said, man, I don't think that's a cat. I think that's a kid. And so everybody, they said, got up, went and started opening camper doors. We're good, we're good, we're good. My mom and dad got to our camper, and Josh is gone. I had slept walk. I don't know, they, they guess a mile out into the cornfields. Now, this is like full six and a half, seven foot tall corn. And so all my dad, my dad is one of nine, seven boys and two girls. All the uncles took off running through this corn trying to, t- to hear my voice. And uh, found me. And, you know, have you ever walked through a cornfield? Man, those stalks cut you up and irritate you, and it's just awful, right? Well, when they got me and took me back, and I don't remember, the only thing I remember is waking up in my Uncle, or- Uncle Lauren's arms and my grandma scratching my back. I didn't have a scratch. I had nothing. Nothing was on me. And at that time, I thought, you know, you're five. It's like, oh, thanks for finding me. But now, on my drive in here, God was saying, no matter how far you drift, I'll protect you. No matter how far you go away from me, you come back and I will protect you. And so then fast forward in my life, I was born with asthma. I had asthma real bad. Medicine, hospital visits, all that stuff. I was raised Catholic. My grandma, Alan, my mom's mom, whom I dearly love, uh, she was a wonderful woman. I lived with her. She was, uh, she was Christian in a Pentecostal church, and, and she would always come over and, and ask my parents, hey, can I take Josh to church? And, you know, my dad was like, no, he's got his own church. He doesn't need to go to yours. And so my grandma, being the wise woman that she is, came on a Wednesday night over to our house when dad was working and asked my mom, hey, can I take Josh to church? And mom was like, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) So I'm 12 years old, and grandma takes me to her church. Now, mind you, I'm Catholic, right? So it's, there's a routine, like, there is no veering off the plan, right? It's a sit, kneel, stand, sit, kneel, stand. That's it. That's all we do. Well, I go to this Pentecostal church, man, and people are waving hands and singing and jumping up and down, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And it comes time for prayer time, and Pastor Cobb says, does anybody have prayer? And, you know, people are saying, pray for this, this. And my grandma raised her hand, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and she said, I want you to pray for my grandson, Josh. And Pastor Cobb said, come up here, young man. And I said, No. I'm not going to do that. 
And, and so eventually I, I went up there reluctantly and stood, and, and some of the older men in the church and Pastor Cobb came on there and, and put their hands on me and started praying for me. And I felt like somebody wrapped a really warm blanket around me, and I just got really relaxed, and I've never had asthma past that day. And at 12, it's like, oh, good, now I don't have to take medicine. But at 42, it's like God said, I will heal you. I have healed you, and he continues to heal me, right? He's healed my heart. He's healed so much of my life. So fast forward a little bit more. I had a, I didn't have a great high school career. Uh, I was really shy and backwards and went to a, uh, a private Catholic school and, and, you know, there was a lot of money so everybody was rocking Tommy Hilfiger and uh, all the good stuff. And I had the Kmart buddies, you know, whatever. And you get picked on, right? Because kids are, they don't know any better. And you get picked on, and that hurts. Uh, and, th- and then something happened to me, and, and uh, I was just humiliated in front of a majority of school body. And, and, you know, at 17, you don't know how to handle that. You don't know how to process that. So I turned to alcohol because that numbed it, and it, and it made me not have to. Do- I mean, I, I didn't even want to go to school. It was awful. But God taught me through that how I'm supposed to treat people. And then now how I'm supposed to raise my daughters how to treat people. Right? In the midst of that moment and those circumstances, I thought, how could I go on with life? This is the most awful thing that's ever happened to me. Yet God used it, right, to shape and mold me how to love his people. So, so, so I started drinking at 17, right? And I drank till I was 31. And uh, then realized I didn't want to, I think I'm going to stop drinking. Then I realized I couldn't. Uh, and and uh, some of y'all have seen my testimony that I went on February 20th, 2011 and gave my life to Jesus and he took it away. He took away the desire. He took away, he took away all that. Uh, and... But I still had that internal pain that I hadn't gotten out, right? I still had secrets that were keeping me sick. So then I got into addiction a few years later. Uh, and, and in addiction, it was awful. And I, and I remember, I mean, there was nights where I'd cry myself to sleep praying, God, I know your power. I know what you're capable of. Please take this from me. But I hadn't fully humbled myself I hadn't gotten so desperate, right, like, like, like Jacob and his brothers. I hadn't gotten so desperate and so hungry that I was willing to put it aside and seek after true nourishment, right? I was still self-medicating and still doing it on my own. Um, so, but he's a faithful God, and he humbled me, right? He humbled me. I went to rehab, uh, was in there 32 days, um, you know, uh, lost everything. And, and I say lost loosely because I, I gave it up. I gave up those things because I chose this over this. Uh, but God has since used that to, to be able to speak to people in addiction or in alcoholism or any of those things to be 
open and honest and vulnerable and transparent to say, hey, listen, there is hope on the other side. And your rock bottom, my rock bottom, was when I decided to put the shovel down. Right? Because everybody's rock bottom is different. But God has used that. So all those events that happened from the time I was five till I'm 42 now, all those events that were tragic in my mind, like, this isn't fair. How can I go through this? Same as Joseph, except his wasn't self-inflicted. A lot of mine was self-inflicted, which I say that to say how great of a God is it that even though I made decisions and choices and I sinned, he still redeemed me and restored me. Amen? So it does not matter. It does not matter. Like today, if you're in prison, whether it's self-inflicted or because you've been wrongly accused by others, God can still use that. If you're the favorite and you've been outcast by your family, God can use that. And so let me tell you one last story. So whenever I went to rehab and I got out, you know, you expect your family to just be there for you, to support you, to encourage you, to love you, to, to do all those things, right? And I didn't have that. Uh, and, and I spoke a sermon about this last year that, that my expectations of how my family should have responded led me to resent and to be angry, right? But everybody reacts and responds differently to situations. There's, there's things that have happened in my life, I promise you, that I didn't handle the right way, and those people were probably like, well, why couldn't he just listen? Or why couldn't he just love me? Or why couldn't... And so you play those games in your mind, right? And Joseph very easily could have done the same towards his brothers. So, so they weren't there for me, just like Joseph's family was not there for him. And so go forward uh, almost three years, my brother realizes that he too has a problem and wants help. And you know who the first person that my family called was? Me. I was able to provide them with what to do, how to encourage, how to support, how to love. I get to be there for my brother. I get to walk with him. I get to do those things for him regardless of what was done to me because I trust God has a way bigger plan than what happened to me those first few days when I got out of rehab. So you never know how God is going to use a situation. You never know when you're going to be in prison and somebody shares a dream with you and you can say, you know what, I'm in prison, who cares? No, Joseph didn't stop doing the right thing. He didn't stop being kind and good to, to, to people. He shared truth to the cupbearer who then the cupbearer heard that Pharaoh had a dream and said, you know what? I remember. I remember the good that Joseph did to me. So don't stop doing good because you're in a bad situation. Because you don't know how God, years down the road, could use that and that person say, you know what? I remember when Josh did this. And God will use that if you trust him, surrender to him, and be obedient to him. He will every time. We're ordinary people, right? 
but we serve an extraordinary God. The Bible is not full of these wonderfully Superman, Incredible Hulk-type heroes, right? What, what society portrays in these movies as the real heroes. No, the real heroes are the ones that are humble and understand that everything that they have, gifts, talents, all those things all come from God. And that when we use those to glorify him and for the good of others, oh, that's when the extraordinary things happen. Right? C.S. Lewis says, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Each of us, each of us have a call on our life. Whatever that is. And I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care how bad it's been or how bad it is. God will use it if you surrender to him. He will. I'm a walking testimony of what God can do through an ordinary person because he's an extraordinary God. So maybe today, if uh, the ushers can, can come forward, or not the ushers, the, the prayer teams, I'm sorry. Prayer teams come forward. Maybe today you have an extraordinary complex, like you're extraordinary and you don't have a need for God. Maybe today you haven't made that decision to humble yourself to make him Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe today you realize, you know what? I am an ordinary person, but I do believe and trust that we serve an extraordinary God, and I want him to use me as a vessel to bless and provide for others. Because I've been in prison for so long that I want to be a provider. I've been a victim for so long that today I want to claim victory. And that victory comes through Jesus Christ. There is no amount of power that we have on our own to do extraordinary things. But it's in the simple act of submissing and being obedient that he is going to do extraordinary things through you. The prayer team is up here to my right and to my left. If you have prayer a prayer request, whatever it is. Maybe today you're like, you know what? I do want to surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. I can promise you one thing. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed next week, next month, next year. We're not guaranteed that. But there is one guarantee. That when you lay down your life and surrender your heart and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior over your life, the guarantee is that you get to spend eternity in heaven with him. And there is nothing more extraordinary than that. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. Oh God, we thank you that when we look back at things that were meant to destroy us or were meant for evil, and we honestly thought, how in the world could I ever get through this? God, that you, regardless of how far we went away, that you always took us back when we come running to you. Regardless of the wrongs that we've done, 
regardless of the wrong that done has, people have done for us, God, that you love us, that you'll never leave us, nor will you forsake us. God, in your word tells us that yet while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to pay the price. God, you're an extraordinary God. And I pray today, God, through this ordinary family of people. God, I pray that hearts are transformed, that lives are saved, that mighty, miraculous, extraordinary things are done because we are willing to humble ourselves, submit to you, obey you, and watch you do your thing. God, we love you so much. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.